right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. We are a day late this week because we were waiting out the arrival of Podrick Harrington here in Jacksonville for the Constellation Furick and Friends Champions Tour event. Been out there for the last couple of days, tracking down a few guys for some interviews. We had, were supposed to have about 20 minutes with Podrick. Ended up, of course, spending about 35. He is talkative as usual. We also spent some time with Chris DeMarco. Again, had 20 minutes with him. He spent almost 40 minutes with us telling stories. Uh, so we're just combining the two of those into the same episode here. We're going to play Podrick Harrington first uh, and then turn it over to DeMarco. On the back half, you can guess kind of what we're going to talk about with uh, with both of those guys. But some great insights from both of them. Before we do get going, I want to give a shout out to our friends at Original Penguin. Their fall line is in stock. So go to OriginalPenguin.com. You can use code NLU20 for 20% off your order. Check out their tremendous offerings. Vests, sweaters, hoodies. You know I love my hoodies. I'm wearing my favorite blue one right now. I'm wearing their jeans right now as I do pretty much daily. They got something for every situation. They make great golf shirts. They make great golf shorts. And pretty much their entire catalog can serve you both on and off the course. I'm not even reading off a script here. I get compliments uh, on this stuff all the time. I wear it, as I've as I've said, as I've told you many times, uh, pretty much daily. Original Penguin is also about sustainability and environmental preservation. This fall, they're introducing Original Penguin's Reoriginals Sustainable Fabrication, so you can look good and feel good about wearing clothes that are manufactured in an eco-friendly way. And by spring of 22, Original Penguin will be committed to having a fully sustainable collection. Original Penguin's fall 2021 collection of apparel and accessories are aesthetically minimalistic, creating a more relaxed, laid-back vibe, natural, cozy, and softer fabrications with comfort styling details, all key elements for fall of 2021. You can use code NLU20 for 20% off your order at Original Penguin from now up until October 31. Without any further delay, here's Padraig Harrington. So I overheard someone ask you a question I was planning to ask you today. It was out on the golf course. Somebody came up to you and asked you uh, how you would rate your your overall experience uh, as a Ryder Cup captain. I think he was asking about the year, the month, the week leading up to it, and I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about that for us. Yeah, you know, obviously you look back at it and it was a tough result, but I have no regrets. I wouldn't swap it. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't give it up. We had an unbelievable week in the team room. Uh, I, I couldn't ask for more from my players, from the caddies, from the players' wives, from the players' family. Everybody in there was pulling in the same direction. We all believed going out Friday morning we could win it, uh, which is where you want to be. And we even believed going out Sunday that we could turn it over and win it still. So you can't ask for more than that. There, there was a great atmosphere and, and nobody was lost in the team. There was nobody, you know, who, you know, got away from what the team was doing, which is really kind of a special experience in that sense. And, you know, I I was worried starting out when I took the captaincy that I wouldn't be able to do the job for everybody. You know, you get the, you get the captaincy because you played the game, you did well in the game, but uh, clearly golfers are individuals and we're pretty selfish at what we do. We're very one-dimensional focused on... Then all of a sudden you're presented with 12 people and their teams and you have to, you know, you have to be a captain to everybody. Uh, not everybody thinks like you. So, you know, you've got to make sure you think like them. Uh, it's not about what, what, how you think things should be done. It's about 
okay, what does each of these players need? What can I give to them? How can I get them to the golf course where they believe in themselves and believe in what this team can do? And uh, I was, I'm very comfortable. I managed to do that. I, I certainly doubt myself in, in at the start. Would that be something that I was able to give of myself? Uh, but I'm comfortable looking back. Uh, no regrets. Love love a different result. But in the end of the day, as I said to the guys in the team, these are the best days of your life. Mm-hmm. And I would not give it up for anything, the experiences we had that week. And there's many experiences that will live with us forever. I feel like I heard that more this past Ryder Cup than even even ones that where you guys have been very successful. You know, Shane Lowry called it the best best week of his life, and the obviously the emotion we saw from Rory uh, afterwards. Just you know, it it just seemed a little bit different. That the camaraderie seemed almost even stronger than some of the events that you guys have won. Does that sound accurate? Uh, you know, I don't wouldn't want to compare it with anything right. else. You know, but the team really bonded well. Rory did an unbelievable job uh, all the way through the year. He was a, he was a real leader. Uh, I think that's a tough burden on Rory. Uh, you know, he he he's pushed into that responsibility, but he did take it and and did do a great job for me all year. Uh, Sergio was brilliant in the team room. We know he loves that. You know, and he really was. He really is good in that environment. You, you know, I can see him having a quiet word with players all the time, motivating him and and. and cajoling players so just just excellent uh, but you know everybody as I said was pulling in the right direction during the week they were they were all fantastic and I think coming out of it yeah I think more players got I think more of a mix with all the players you know there wasn't there was no clicks in our mm-hmm. in our in our thing and I, I know I know the, the US had their pods of, of and things like that but we had a pod of 12 Look, I would have done anything to win, and, and ultimately winning is the most important thing. But, you know, I do feel that we did have a part of 12, if not a part of, of 17, 18 of us, if you include the vice captains and myself. And uh, I think everybody walked away from that knowing more about the other players and who they are, and uh, we'll have a bond with those guys forever. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly we lost, which, you know, you, you pretty much, you know, as I said, you... It is all about winning, but since so we haven't won, we we will we will take uh, some comfort in the fact that we we really really were a great team together. You mentioned uh, you know Sergio being a big impact there on the team room, and I, I'm, I was thinking of you know back in the day, Tiger and Phil played on a lot of teams together, and they didn't necessarily have the greatest relationship. But as they get later in life, it seems that their relationship is very different now. You and Sergio have not always had a, a great relationship, I, and I'm not even sure I understand or know the genesis of that, but I'm curious if you could talk about the timeline of that and how it's evolved over the years. Yeah, you know, clearly we would have been very competitive against each other, it, 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 both of us in our peak of our careers. Uh, from both sides of us, you know, I'd look at Sergio and go, oh, well, look, this guy looks like he has it easy. Why is, why is he complaining, you know? He, or, or, you know, why, why, you know it, did, it did seem to come easy to him. Uh, I think as you get on later in life, you realise that just because something looks easy on the outside, you know, it was tough enough, tough on Sergio on the inside. He had plenty of troubles going on. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it did look all rosy. And so you, you kind of look at somebody and you, you, you prejudge them. And, and there was no doubt there was always tension between us. And yeah, the Ryder Cups helped over the years. And, and for sure, this one helped even more because... Clearly, the Ryder Cup's bigger than both of us. 
but he really did pull together for me during that match. Uh, he did everything he could and everything I could ask of him. Uh, and there's no doubt we are on a much better sound footing. And I think we understand each other. We understand each other's trials and tribulations in life. And it's, it, you know, as I said, sometimes you miss that uh, and you, you only see the surface. So uh, I think that's, it's, it's a lot easier. Well, it speaks to what you were saying earlier about, you know, 99.9% of golf is very individualistic, right? And, you know, being a captain for 12 people, you know, it's probably just, you probably can't see the forest from the trees when you're in the middle of your of your prime of competitive nature, right? A hundred percent. And another thing is, you, you assume everybody sees the world with the same eyes that you do. Right. And and that's not the case. And you you're like, when you become captain, that's the... The first thing you've got to get, well, not the first thing, it's the thing you've got to get a handle on all the way through, is that everybody has a different way of operating. You know, some guys need very little. They just need a little pointer in the direction and off they go. Some guys with that pointer need to be held back a little bit. They, they could go too far. Other guys need, you know, reassurance. And that's not a bad thing. Uh, you know, some guys just need a lot of early information. They need a lot of clarity uh, you know they need to know why, and, and but you've got twelve players and they all have a little different. Well, they don't don't have all different issues. You you could probably we probably had. You know you could probably put five, kind of certainly four groups, maybe five groups of players, and you know each having they did cross over in terms of each having a different desire for information. I know in my career I needed very little when it came to Ryder Cup. You know, I. Could, you know, I needed nothing to be honest. I just my biggest problem with the Ryder Cup is I always wanted to practice more, and I was, I was being torn between having to go and do stuff and wanting to get more time practicing and spend more time. I think that would have been Tiger's biggest problem. If I if I looking from the outside, I'm not really sure with this, but you know, Tiger was a guy who, in his Ryder Cups, or in his general practice, he'd practice from 6 a.m. to 9.30 and be gone from the golf course. You wouldn't see him there after 10 o'clock. You wouldn't see him on the range. He'd be finished. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, a Ryder Cup, he's being asked to go out and practice around the 10 o'clock and spend six hours on the golf course. This is not this is not what Tiger does. You know, he's quick practice round, get off, get off, rest. So there was a lot of stuff going on in Ryder Cups that really would have, for me, I, I found it difficult. It must have been really a completely out out of body experience for Tiger and, and certainly very difficult to change you know when your your mindset especially when you're in the middle of your career your mindset is how do I get myself up and running and, and the, the Ryder Cup can be tough for that because there is a lot of team duties and you just have to row in in my, uh, I don't know if it, it, it's a direct correlation as much as I'm, I'm maybe trying to make it in, in, in the coming weeks or the, the most recent weeks, but this is the first Ryder Cup team on the U.S. side without Tiger or Phil since 1993 at the Belfry. And it, it, those two are just a different level of stardom in, in U.S. golf. And it seems like a diff, just a different environment. Phil's still obviously in the team room and, and Tiger being a big influence on that team, but it just seems like the biggest stars may have... A, just like to what you're saying, just have a bit of trouble trying to trying to not only not take over the team room, but also exist in this highly team environment. Am I onto something? Yeah, I think you are. I, I, like again, I don't really know what goes on in the U.S. team room, but looking from the outside, you had two alpha males in there, and that is a big issue. I think again, looking from the outside, Tiger in his prime was not 
giving. Yeah. As in, but Phil wanted to do all that, but it's very hard for Phil to stand up in the room and take charge when Tiger's sitting there. Sure. You know, that's, that, well, I've seen this, like this happened to us uh, in 2008. I just won two majors. You had Lee Westwood and you had Miguel. And like, you know, we did poorly that week, but you know, none of the three of us stood up and took any leadership. You know, when you look back at that, we were missing a Monty or a Darren Clark at the time. We needed somebody who wanted that role and was prepared to take it. I'm sure Tiger was quite happy to see Phil take that role, but I don't know if Phil could be that comfortable leading Tiger. Yeah. Because, you know, clearly that's not how it works on the golf course. But, you know, Tiger in his prime wasn't one who wanted to be... And I've seen that. You can look at my team or, or any of the teams. You can have the best player and he can be a leader on the golf course. But he doesn't necessarily want to be the guy talking in the team room. And, that, and this is something that you have to figure out. Who Who is the guy who wants to go beat his chest in the team room? Who's passionate, wants to get up and say? But then you can have another guy who's very passionate on the golf course and leads on the course. So uh, I think that would... The, from the outside, I wasn't in there in the US team room over the years, but I would definitely say two alpha males, one who wanted to do do it being Phil, but it's very hard. Yeah. It must be really intimidating to try and do that in front of Tiger. That, that's uh, they, that team just looked more freed up emotionally than any, and it helps you know to be playing well. But it's also a, you know you know which one came first and do they contribute to each other and all that Look, stuff. But. When it comes to the Ryder Cup, and you're past to be proud of this. We have pushed the U.S. so hard over the years that they not alone care about it, but everything that we have innovated in the game of golf to get us good at the Ryder Cup, the U.S. guys have now are doing it. They, there's no copied it. Is the it, word you've been using? I said copied. Yeah, I, yeah, I want to yeah, hear yeah, more about that. Yeah, like you know, every little thing, whether it's the stats or they, they know what we're doing. They've got their formula right. They know they can see the difference. You know. You go back years ago where you say, oh, we'll just throw the balls up in the air. Our players are so good. They, they, like, I, I was even, you know, even with the stats, because, you know, our stats guys would be talking about this too. The way to get the most successful four-match result is to try and pair your fourth best team against their, be- their best so that your first, second, third plays their second, third, fourth. Mm-hmm. And the US did that every day. They tried, they never, they, you know, they always their best team never let out number one they were always trying to do that you, you know you can see how they prepared in advance uh, how they you know they'd done their work they're trying hard and you know Europe has to be very proud that we have we have pushed them into a corner that they care about this Ryder Cup and you remember when I started playing the Ryder Cup 20 years ago yeah just over 22 years ago if you remember they were talking about payments for the Ryder oh, Cup yeah. Yeah, you, you know, and, and, and you know was there, was, there, was there a future to the Ryder Cup do we want to be playing this thing why are we doing this you know it's not like that anymore is it no you know this is every two years this is the biggest thing in golf uh, and the, you know Europe has driven the US to, to the point you know, we have pushed them over the edge and unfortunately I did say this earlier in some ways we poked the bear <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like because it felt like it has always felt like to me I truly think the US team has always wanted to win it very badly but that almost has had a negative effect on them putting pressure on themselves to play their best golf rather than to what to your point saying 
kind of embracing or copying the model that Europe has followed in terms of doing this as a team. You see what I'm saying? It felt like it felt like Phil wanted to you know grab his sticks and I'm going to go five and zero and we're going to do this and that didn't seem like the best route to winning. I, yeah, I, 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 you know, I would never question individuals on how they were doing it, but the, the overall team environment wasn't pulling in the same direction. Right. You know, you got to understand, and, and this is the the hardest thing. <laughs> I did say it to my team. I, I did like this, you know. Twelve players. It, it's it's a it's an unwritten rule, but you've got to play everybody the first day again. Ninety nine. This, this yeah. is things that we learn from Europe. So everybody plays the first day. Well, that means that eight players in the two sessions sit down, rest. So that's a lot of egos to manage when you've eight players that have to be rested, uh, and usually eight players believe that they should be out there playing. Uh, I think the US have found that very difficult over the years and that's why you know that's lacking in the President's Cup everybody plays in most of the sessions not all the sessions but everybody plays most sessions in the President's Cup and let's face it you know everybody plays when it's under eights in the big boys game you've got to sit people out and it's managing sitting people out you know having the players who are sitting out pulling for your team and not thinking that they should be out there and you know why is he playing and I'm a better player than him and you know because it's hard to see the bigger picture yeah. Uh, I think the US, you know, their team was very prepared in that situation. I think more so than ever, they understood. You know, from what I understand from hearing, you know, they knew from very early on in the week Monday what their role was during the week, and players really need to understand their role when it comes to this Ryder Cup. And they knew, you know, some of your big name players, some star players knew. Hey, I'm only playing twice before the singles. Mm-hmm. That's it. Uh, and that's something that the U.S. team could not, did not manage well in the past. Uh, but that's one of the things I think that they, you know, looking from our side, that they, they got to grips with that. They gave the players the information early. They got them to buy into the fact that, look, 12 does not go into eight. And you, we have to do this four times. Yeah. That means good players. And, and as I try to explain to players, you could be in the top four players in the team and not make a session. And, and it's just the way it is because you want to get other players out you want to get a better, there's a different partnership there's a little you know there's a little tweak here and just because you're a better player doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be on that field tough course to get five sessions out of someone too just with the energy it took to, to navigate through that golf course and it also it felt like the depth of the U.S. team kind of permeated through the event I, I go back to 2014 with what uh, Paul McGinley did with uh, Graham McDowell who was a, a pretty big shot at the time and he played only foursomes only with a rookie and got the honor of going to play uh, going out first and it kind of felt like Bryson played that role in the U.S. side where he only played four ball only played again with rookie and then you know didn't get the didn't go out first but was near the top of the order and just the, the freshness that 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 played into that that final day is just something that was maybe not a luxury on the European side we 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 clearly know that it's not in the player's individual best interest or the team interest for him to have played four times going into the singles. Right. Uh, so if you have a strong enough team, you work the team and you make sure everybody gets a rest. I had a very balanced team. That was the, probably the best thing about my t- t- team in the sense it was very balanced. Everybody was capable of playing foursomes on four balls. So it was easy to mix and match my team around uh, to make sure... I think only two guys did all uh, five matches. Uh, if you know, and, and I'd love to have the luxury 
of resting John and Victor and, and if you look both of them lost their singles sure. and, and you know it was very telling with, I, I didn't see a lot of John's match because it was an earlier match I saw a little bit of Victor's because it was just, just got a little bit more of that and you could see that he was double checking and second guessing his reads on the greens that's a sign of tiredness hmm. you know that's that's what happens when you're tired you, you, you just a little bit of doubt creeps in and you you overdo things and uh, you know unfortunately I think we were in a better like if we if we won this I'd be saying this is one of the reasons you know years ago as I said you go back to 99 and like seven of the players had played four times into the into the into the singles and no wonder we got yeah well and truly beaten in the singles you just it's just too much golf the US was a very strong team and it did allow themselves to 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 rest guys uh but I think more to do with what you said at the start, the clarity that Bryson had that, look, he wasn't sitting there Thursday night thinking, oh, am I going to get played on fr- right. f- you know, Friday morning, Friday afternoon? I won my match. Do I get played twice the next day? No, he knew what he was doing and clearly had bought into that. You know, usually the week after the Ryder Cup, there's controversy that ensues. It's really been rather rather quiet on that front. But the only thing that has come out, and I heard you mention it in your press conference earlier, was uh, some articles that were written about ball changes and how that made a, a, a change in the pairings. But it seems like it was not nearly as big a deal as it uh, yeah. maybe had been written about. I, cu- I couldn't believe, like, <laughs> I, I, somebody was trying to, you know, somebody, I, I don't read the social media, but obviously I get questions back. And somebody was saying, oh, you you know like the US they didn't say like the US because obviously the US won by doing this but this they were trying to hold you, you told the team the pairings on Tuesday you know they were trying to say would you not wait to see them play in practice and I say well look some players play well in practice and some players play terrible in practice you you, you know you can't hold practice rounds over people uh, and, and even if I did hold it over them you know you wanted to free people up anyway and give and as I said the key here is the US did is giving early information to the players so they can settle in and know what their role is during the week uh, so when we practice foursomes a lot of our matches were more organized than people thought <laughs> with the ball throwing up but when we practice foursomes on wednesday nowadays you're allowed to switch the balls on the tee right so it's not a huge di- difference using somebody else's golf ball which quickly explain that you would want to you the player who you would want to use your own ball for the approach shot. for the approach shot that one that's the one that tends to you you want a ball that goes consistently is the approach shot because that's if it goes five yards shorter off the tee or five yards not a big deal but into the green that's a big deal so you you the player you're playing forces will hit your ball off the tee and then you play the approach shot with your ball and every you have to whatever ball goes off one has to go off all the odd holes and whatever yeah. ball goes off two has to go off all the even holes correct no oh you can play whatever ball you want you just choose choose every time on the team so one of the issues was a player came in and said he was uncomfortable with the ball on the greens it was a bit clicky for so we said well okay you you know are we going to force him into doing this and we had a look at it and we said well look we was incidental we can change the partnerships up we still had a a, an experienced player with, with a rookie which is what we wanted. You know, it was easy to switch it out. We switched over the partnerships. It was really, really an incidental. But I brought it up, actually, because I was just pointing out that as much as we told the t- guys who were playing foursomes on Tuesday, you know, if you have to make a change, you make a change. You know, nothing is set in stone, but that's what, that is what we're thinking of doing. This is what we're going to do. This is what 
but we had a change and it was it was really incidental but somebody then wrote an article saying that it was a like we were in turmoil i'm going do you realize how many different golf balls these players play like they all play a different ball we all you know we we could all you could have you know i'd say there was a i i think there's eight or nine i think nine different golf balls in play between our 12 players wow so like everybody was playing with a different golf ball more or less so it's not it's part of picking out your partnerships you try and match guys up that would be comfortable so you look at a partnership as i said the partnership was comfortable they were both you know, was comfortable up onto the putt, and we said, "Oh well, we can we can switch that over. It's no problem." The the new partnerships practiced on Thursday morning foursomes. Uh, again, it wasn't a, there was no look to the way they threw the balls up and who played with each other. They and they went yeah. off and played their foursomes, and they were very comfortable with it. But it, you know, this is I think what happens is the more I talk about it the more it gets a bigger story so <laughs> well i was giving you the chance to yeah, clear it up because yeah, it doesn't sound I, like a big deal it wasn't it wasn't <laughs> yeah. I, I was amazed that it came out as a big deal story because as i said when i brought it up it was well partnerships change yeah and of course they change right. and, and bear in mind i can tell you what like you have an hour at most to put your you have an hour to put your team in on thursday night for or friday night for saturday morning you have a limited time on, during the matches on Friday morning and Saturday to get your afternoon team in. So the Friday night, you have an hour to get your Saturday morning team in. So, like, that is something. You, you've got to really have some good vice captains because you're dragging, you're putting players together. Who's played well today? Who's won points? Uh, you know, do you put a player out who's played well but not won a point? Or do you put a player out who's won a point who's played okay? Or average. Right. Which do you want? What do you want on the golf course? Do you want a winner on the golf course, or do you want a player playing well? Uh, does that match up? Are they good for foursomes? What about the ball? What about you know? What about the personalities? Do we have a leader in that group? Do we have two leaders in the group? Are there going to be friction there? Uh, you know, does each person understand what their role will be tomorrow? You know, there's a lot of things that have to be sorted out in an hour. So, you know, while balls come into it for the Friday morning, I can tell you what there is is like. You know, get on with it. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna ask this question two different ways. Uh, the 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 easy way or the lazy way is how big of a factor did Whistling Straits play in in the result? And said another way, if you put those two teams up against each other at Le Golf National in Paris, how different do you think the result may be? Uh, look, it was a good venue for us. As it turned out, I think the US teams practice the week before was a big deal it makes that big of a difference you it, think? well they got the they got the the tournament wind obviously changed we practiced in a, in one wind and it changed for the for the actual three days of the tournament and seemingly that's the wind they practiced in so sometimes turning up a week before an event I've tried it at majors is useless mm -hmm. in this particular case it wasn't it worked out very well so the golf course yeah you know it, it did you know, I, I I got all the stats afterwards. They walloped us off the tee. I think they gained nearly 17 strokes off the tee against us. Hmm. Believe it or not, that's 1% more fairways, four yards extra distance. So they hit 1% more fairways. They hit it four yards further than us. And we hit 2% more times into the, into the wild areas. So... It was very little difference in the teams, except the little difference they did time and time again. Hmm. 
So, you know, this is people are going back, oh, well, does Europe need to change? I'm going, well, we've been very successful. Why would we change? So when you look at the stats and, and what's afterwards, actual fact, they were better than us, but only marginally, but time and time again, which added up to a big victory. And you would see most of the matches were pretty tight. Yeah. So there wasn't a huge deal of difference uh, in a lot of things, except for the fact that, you know what, they were just a little better all the time, which added up to a big result. Hmm. And if I'm looking at the European side, I see, you know, I, I maybe an out-of-control crop of potential captains for the next two decades. Westwood, McDowell, Poulter, Rose, Stenson, Garcia, Donald. <laughs> like, There's almost more captains than there are Ryder Cups. But if I'm looking at that, that also tells me that there's a crop of guys that are graduating out of just an incredibly successful run of playing on this while coming off this U.S. team that is the strongest team and youngest team that we, we think we've seen. Is it is there any cause for concern or reason to be concerned uh, on the European side for both what the U.S. has currently going and kind of this graduation of a lot of their top players? Look, there's ebbs and flows. So absolutely the U.S. right on top of the, the world at the moment. Uh, you know, they have so many players in the top 10 in the world. They really And they got it right. They picked the rookies that, that were young and suited the golf course. They, they, they did a great job. They, they made that mistake in the past. They weren't making it again. As I said, they're learning from their mistakes. Or, or Copying. Yeah. So, look, going forward, Europe doesn't need to worry. We've done it right for quite a long time. Keep doing it. There's ebbs and flows in this game. Sure. Like in 2018, Europe, Ryder Cup-wise, was like the best ever. They were right on top of the world. That team was, was spectacular. Clearly, we've come down from that. And the US have risen quite su- substantially. But in two years' time, it's a long time in golf. There is serious ebbs and flows in the sure. game of golf. You know, guys who are peaking now will drift off a little bit and new guys will come on the scene. So, you know, I, I, it'd be tough if we had to play in the Ryder Cup next week. Uh, you know, in the US, whew, I don't know if anybody would want that job. Uh, but, you know, in two years' time, it's a different story. An underrated aspect is I think this Ryder Cup plays out very differently if it was played in 2020 in the fall. The U.S. team would have been different. Europe team probably would have been different. Uh, one and COVID has to have been harder on European traveler, like European golfers, than it has been on American golfers. I would have to guess. Is that fair? I, I would think that's very fair. We, yeah. we a lot of Europeans. It was a huge issue traveling, and the, you know, European base players. It was it was a bit of a disaster trying to get back and forth. And there's no doubt. Yeah, we would have had a substantially different team in 2020. The US would have had a different team. But look, you can only play the match you're playing at the time. You're not going to... Hypotheticals, that is. The US turned up with a great team, great team of players. They worked it. They did a great job. We look forward to getting them back in row. Hmm. And, and, you know, time is a great healer when it comes to golf. I can tell you what, you know, it does move. It moves on. Yeah. Well, I'll get the only non Ryder Cup question I'll ask you, then I'll let you get out of here. I know it's been a long media day for you, but this is your first week, first start on the Champions Tour this week, PJ Tour Champions here at the, the Constellation Furick and Friends. What would you say, you know, what, what, what is left for you to accomplish in golf? What, what, what is something that you are really hoping to check off in the next decade in your golf career? There's not a lot that will change my legacy in golf now. There really isn't. Winning another golf tournament, you know, will be nice. I'll enjoy it. 
but it doesn't change who I am, what I've done in the game. Uh, you know, even winning another major, three, four majors, yeah, it'd be nice to win another major, but it's not like earth shattering difference. So that's kind of hard on me at times, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not out here. You know, to win tournaments, sometimes you've got to be happy with a top 10. And unfortunately, I'm not. Uh, but look, I, I'm hoping that I come to the Champions Tour and, and you know, find my comfort more. You know, I, I'm definitely stressed out on the on the PGA Tour. It's a, it's like I seem to I, like I, I feel like I need a perfect week every week to compete and win. You know, when you when you think you need perfection, it never turns up. Uh, hopefully, you know, out here on this tour, I find my niche, I get comfortable and who knows, it could bring some confidence back to my game and my putting that I might be able to bring back to those, uh, you know, major tournaments and regular tournaments. Yeah, I mean, T4 at this at this past PGA Championship, it's not like it's unrealistic for you to for you to win another major. Well, physically, I'm 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 okay. Yeah. You know, I I still I, I still have the the distance and and the strike to compete with with the young guys and keep up there. Uh, I just don't put as well. I don't do the other things as well. I, like uh, as much as Phil clearly was a deserved winner, but you know, wow, could I have made up? a few shots on the greens even in the last nine holes to, to have pushed them a, a little bit tighter hmm. uh, so yeah you know maybe coming out here I might relax a little bit and hold a few more putts and if you know I could I could find my confidence but I am wary of the fact that very few players who've come here ever can go back hmm. it's a difficult one to do both uh, you know with a slightly obviously with easier golf courses it's hard to go back to the tougher tighter it is the, the the standard on the PGA Tour is like it is very narrow. Has you it know? evolved a lot in your career? Uh, oh I, yeah, depth wise, it, it it is incredible. Like yeah. you know, I was telling a story down below there a couple of weeks ago. I was on tour. At, I think Friday morning, you know, maybe ten holes into the round, I'd have put to go four under, which was top ten in the event. You know, genuinely, maybe three shots behind at that stage. I missed that putt and then I bogeyed the next hole. So now I'm two under. And I know the cut's going to be at least one under. So one minute I'm looking, oh, right, I'm right in this tournament. And the next, like one hole later, I'm now worried about the cut line. Hmm. Uh, it is very, very intense and stressful and very narrow hmm. the, the, because of the strength of depth on tour. And, and you know, there's minute difference between missing a cut and being in contention. And I would also I would disagree with you slightly that your legacy wouldn't change with another major win because uh, Raymond Floyd, Ernie Els, Rory McIlroy, and Brooks Kepka with four major wins. I think that would, that'd be pretty pretty elite company to be a part of. It's a great company at three, but I think that would be pretty special company to be a part of. I, I think I think my sons pointed out to me that there was only twenty nine players who have ever won three, and that was I, that's obviously moved on since then. But it, you know, it's probably 30, 30, 30. 30 guys and that's that is including pre you know the history like yeah. a lot of the 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 modern list is even thinner than that i think it's something like 12 or something like that or and yeah there's certainly very few who who i i know obviously i think the guys i would have competed against at the time with tiger in his, in his peak it was there wasn't that many you know it was a tough tough run um you know i i think i think somebody said like i was like I was a long time in the top 10 in the world, that sort of stuff. You know, there, there's a lot of good things that I can look back on that I, that I did in the game. Uh, 
certainly have have I certainly far exceeded my own expectations when I started out. Hmm. Uh, and I, I'm trying to I I like three four five years ago I was certainly burnt out in the game, uh, and I just found a new passion for it. You know I tried a few different things. I was looking at, and I just realised that you know what, who wouldn't want to do what I do? Like literally, I travel the world, the nicest places, nicest hotels, the best golf courses. You know why not? Why wouldn't you enjoy this lifestyle? So I actually enjoy it a lot more now than I probably did even in my prime. Hmm. Uh, it's not all about the golf now. It's, there's there's more to it. Uh, but you know, back in my prime, I was very disciplined. Very you know, very long hard hours. Now I I make sure to to take a little bit of time out for for myself and enjoy the whole experience i'm sorry i lied because i have to ask a follow-up on that because is it but isn't there something to when your life is every week playing incredible golf and traveling the world and doing it that it it almost can seem like there aren't there isn't any high above that right every week is a high but it no longer is a high because it's all high is that part of your experience at all i make more time to enjoy the company now okay so like you know 15 years ago you know, I just did my own thing. Yeah, you know, I, I nobody interfered with my plan. Now, you know, if there's an Irish guy at the event, we're going out for dinner, hmm. and I'll, I'm prepared to work around other people's schedules in order to have an enjoyable week. Whereas I did not give up. The, I didn't give anything of me. You know, 15 years ago. Now I'm much more prepared. To look, there's there's more to enjoy out here, and I know I need to do that in order to sustain my. You've got to find a different way. Uh, you know, you you do get burned out if you try and keep doing the same old thing over and over. You gotta re. It's not that there's no point in me doing anything else in my life. I just gotta reinvent what the way I'm doing it. Awesome. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. I know you got a lot of media requests with your first event here, but look forward to watching this week at Temaquana and uh, and on the Champions Tour for years to come. So, cheers. Thank thanks. Thank you. A quick pit stop here before we get to Chris DeMarco and what do you do during a pit stop? You change your tires. I never put much thought into tires in the past. The thought was always, you know, drive what comes on the vehicle. If I have to replace them, just make the decision based on the price. Our friends at Cooper Tires know what they're talking about. Cooper has been an American company since 1914, more than a century in the tire industry. Each Cooper tire undergoes rigorous testing and are backed by warranty, so you can trust that they'll last for thousands of miles. Coopers pride themselves on good merchandise, fair play, and a square deal. Always have, always will. Don't overpay or underbuy. Cooper tires do what tires should do. They cost what tires should cost. All Cooper tires are backed by a limited warranty, a 45 test aid drive warranty, and select products are backed by Treadwear mileage warranty, helping to give you confidence on the road. So for complete product and warranty details, visit coopertires.com or coopertires.ca. Go with the Coopers. Without any further delay, here is Chris DeMarco. I'm going to start you with a, uh, a fun fact. I don't know if it's a fun fact or not. You hold a distinct record. I did a little research last night. There's only one person, I think, in the history of the game that has two solo second finishes in majors to Tiger Woods. Oh, really? Ernie was runner-up. He was T2 at the 2000 U.S. Open and 2000 Open Championship. But I, I think it's, I, I get T2 is different. A solo two is different than a T2. Would you agree with that? I, well, I, I'll take it. Whatever <laughs> I get, yeah. Um, I, did, I did not know a solo second to him. I know that I was second to him quite a few times. Well, because I'm looking at 2005 Masters, and you finished seven shots clear of third place. Yep. And you lost to the greatest player in the history of the game. Yep. And I, I've heard you talk about that a lot over the years, and it seems 
to be something you you enjoy talking about or, or beam with, and it's not necessarily a bitter memory. Is that fair to say? It is. You know, I always said that all the majors I finished second in, even the one in um, at Whistling Straits in 04, where I lost in the playoff to VJ, me and Justin Leonard. All those um, majors, I, I actually made birdies down the stretch to give myself chances. I didn't make bogeys to right. lose them. So, um, you know, I just got beat. And, you know, when you're playing against it, VJ was the number one player in the world at the time. <laughs> and then Tiger, obviously, Tiger Woods. So, you know, as long as you, you go out and you play your best and, and you perform when it counts, it, it you know, you can lay your head down and sleep. You know, if I would have bogeyed 17-18 to get into a playoff and then lost in the playoff, that would have probably stung and lasted a lot longer than what it is now. Now you get applauded for yeah. actually taking, you know, the goat to the end and, you know, and, and not backing down. So, you know, I, I enjoyed those moments. Obviously, I'd like to have a major win. It'd be fantastic. But... You know, just being in that position and performing when it mattered was was huge. So it, it sounds like it's it's just easier to reconcile with knowing that you you and you've talked about this too about how you thrived under the pressure and, and hearing you talk about. I watched your ESPN thing that you did last year during you know when COVID had hit and the Masters right. was skipped and you did something with Michael Collins just talking about you know you're you're you you thought you could win that day and you you proved that you you could play good enough in 2005 Masters to win that. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's it's it's. What all golfers strive for is to get in that situation where, you know, you're nervous and anxious for the situation, but you're not nervous about your game. You're not worried about your putting stroke. You're not worried about where your irons are going. You're not worried where your driver's going. And and you have a focus like no other. I mean, I've never been able to – I've done it maybe 5% of my career, been able to focus like Tiger focuses all the time, which makes him the greatest player in the world because he does it all the time. He treats the first hole of any tournament like it's a 72nd hole to win the golf tournament. It's amazing how somebody can have that kind of focus and maybe that's what he gets himself up for. But for me, it was, it wasn't enough. I wish I did it more. Um, and it's hard. I guess that's the extra talent that he has on everybody else. Help me out with that. How does that, you know, you would love to be able to focus like that in every tournament. Why can't you just for the listeners sake? Why can't you? I, you know, I, I obviously it's a personality thing, I would think, you know, I mean, my, my mind's always working, you know, where Tiger can maybe just put himself in a situation where he just, you know, you, you see him out there and it's so businesslike and he really doesn't have any kind of emotion on his face. He's not really, do, you know, now it's better. But back then when he was, you know, in 04, 05, 90, I mean, he was stoic. I mean, you didn't know what was going on in that brain. And, you know, that was just the focus that you, you needed to have. I mean, he had to, I guess, you think about the crowds and the media that was always around him, always circulating around him. And for him, he had to get himself out of that to to basically, you know, not even feel like there was people around. Because if he listened to everything that everybody was screaming at him, you know, he, he'd had no focus. Right. So I think he had to do something special to get that focus. I always found it very interesting how the the different ways that Tiger and Phil approach the crowd, where Phil will engage with almost every single person that will yell his name. And I always wondered if Tiger heard people yelling his name. You know what I mean? Or he was, right. do, do, you, do you think he hears it, or do you think he truly has it blocked out? I, I think it's the modern-day Lee Trevino, Jack Nicholas. I think Nicholas yeah. was a lot like Tiger Woods, and I think Trevino and Mickelson are very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think he hears it. I think that it's certain things. I think, you know, when he was the best player in the world and winning, and you could scream anything you wanted, I don't think anything bothered him. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, once he had that, once it all came out with, you know, the the women and all that I think people would maybe say things like that it's hard not to hear that kind of stuff because now it's not about golf now it's personal now it's trying to get me and I you know and it's it's hard to focus with that but you know and again you know it, it it's it's tough and I mean that's the thing about you know a lot of fans sometimes is that they scream out things and it's personal. You can scream out whatever you want if it's golf related, but when it gets personal, you know, those ropes aren't soundproof. We right. can hear that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, it, it goes with the territory. 
Mm-hmm. And it is, you know, it is what it is. I always say that for every 10,000 fans, there's probably 10 idiots that just have to scream and yell and do something that they don't want to do. They just be heard. Um, and you take that, you know, you get 100,000 people and there's 100 of them. It's it's not that many, but it's it's enough sometimes. It's, yeah. It feels <laughs> like a lot, I'm it sure. It feels like a lot, yeah. yeah. So tell us about your relationship with Tiger leading up to the 05 Masters that leads to a, a rather comical exchange on the range uh, on Sunday <laughs> afternoon that I admit I'd never heard that story and I also didn't really, I wasn't aware that you guys kind of had that relationship. Well, we had been on two teams prior to that so um, and going to our third team. So What teams were those? The 04 the, Ryder Cup and 03 Presidents Cup? I think it was the 03 Presidents, 04 Ryder Cup. Yes, exactly what it was. And so, you know, team room and all that. And he knew I was a big Gator fan. And a lot of, you know, even those weeks there was a Gator game on and I'm, you know, I'm all in watching them. And, uh, you know, he always liked to root, root for the other team. You know, whoever it would be, if we were playing Alabama, he'd be like, oh, Alabama, you know, just to <laughs> kind of rib me. So that week on Monday night, the Gators had won a national championship in basketball. Mm. So it was just him and I in the range, and I just kind of took a ball up, and I went, you know, go Gators on it and flipped it down to him. And one of the better shots I hit the whole day, it literally he was like 40 yards from me, just kind of one hop skipped and kind of ran into his, where his club was. And he um, he kind of picked it up. I turned around and hit balls, and next thing I know, a ball comes flying back at me. And he, he kind of rubbed out the go and wrote um, F the Gators on there. And I still have that ball. So where is it? The ball is in a box, and I have it. I know exactly where it is, but um, – <laughs> I have that golf ball, yeah. I, I did not know that that was a possible rise you could get out of Tiger on a major championship Sunday yeah, this, in that era. Yeah, this is like 20 minutes before we're going right. out, too, you know. But, I mean, I think it was good. I think it was good levity for both of us. I mean, I think it was just something just to kind of, you know, the, the situation was big because it was a lot of rain delays that weekend. And we were weird finally, week. yeah, it was a weird week. We're finally getting the round. We know the weather's going to be good. We're finally getting it out there. And it was just like a nice little, whew, you know, deep breath before we went and played. And it was fun. Because was his crazy birdie run, it was round three, but it was Sunday morning? Or did it bridge from Saturday night into Sunday morning, if I remember that right? So I think he had birdied eight and nine. And I think, I'm pretty sure he birdied eight, maybe seven, eight, nine, and then hit his drive on 10. And it hit it left, and this was, was wet out, and he had a big old clop of mud on his ball, mm. and they and they actually um, blew the siren before he had hit that shot, and then he had a beautiful shot in there about um, I think like five feet left, and all made birdie again, and then he birdied eleven, birdie twelve, and birdie thirteen. I think he made. But he got to seven. clean it, clean it overnight. Got to on clean 10. it overnight, yeah. Interesting. And you know how that's I mean that shot into the green. If you don't know where your ball's going, I mean it, you could make six. Exactly. I mean, it, and, I mean it could be left in the pine straw. It could it could have fluttered straight, and he could have made birdie, but it could have gone anywhere. Right. Hmm, that's interesting. I, I never thought of that from that perspective. It, it seems also like you weren't shy about chatting him up during the actual round out there too. Do you are the, do you remember any stories of you know kind of chatter back and forth on on that Sunday? I it wasn't that Sunday. I remember playing with him my first Masters ever, and I shot sixty five, sixty nine, and had a, like a shot, a couple shot lead. And this was he was going for the Tiger Slam, mm-hmm. so he had won the three previous, and we got paired on Saturday together. The first time I'd ever played with him at Augusta. I'm leading for the first time, and he's, you know, going for the Tiger Slam. And I remember making the turn, and I just looked over him. I said, I said, is this your world? He goes, every day, brother, every day. I went, you can have it. My God. I mean, just the amount of people screaming and yelling, and it just it was like such chaos. It was like the Beatles weren't down. And, hmm. um, and it was like that on, on Sunday in 05. And, you know, by that time I had played the year before with Phil and watched Phil win. So, you know, I, was, I certainly took a lot in on that back nine watching Phil um, you know, basically go get it, not sit back and try to make pars and hope that, some, you know, they would come back. On At Augusta, the way it was even in 05, I mean, I could get to all the par fives. So, I mean, it was – you needed to make some birdies or you weren't going to win the tournament. So, um, I, I had watched and, and learned. And 
obviously Phil watching him make that win and getting he basically he got that proverbial monkey off his back because that was his first major ever and, and he went on to win I mean seven now I think but sometimes not winning is is a good thing to see because I watched it I saw Phil go get it and um, and then obviously Ernie was ahead of us that year so we didn't have the luxury of seeing what Ernie was doing so Phil just kind of kept the foot in the gas and went with it hmm. where um, I was up close and personal with Tiger. We knew what was going on. So right. and when we got to the back nine, I mean, I think we were six, seven shots ahead. So it basically was a – or four or five ahead. It was basically a two-man battle at that point. And especially with three or four to go, then it was just, you know, it was just him versus I. It was kind of just a match play. Because that's what I remember you saying, too, about the 15th hole when you laid up on 15, which it sounds like you had a very good reason to lay up. And uh, who was it? Was it Lanny in the booth? Yeah. It was critical of it. But there was no – you were so far clear of third place, there was nothing else to play for. Right. It wasn't like I was laying up to play for third. I mean, I had – so people who, who know Augusta, there's these two little mounds on the right, and one's about 230 to the front, and the other one's about 210 to the front. What are they called? They have a nickname, right? Gumdrops. Gumdrops. I think Gumdrops. There. Yeah. So I hit them to the right, and I think I hit it over the second one, and I had like 210 front, maybe like 220 to the hole. So it was – I. If I hit three wood, it's on a downslope. It's going to fly to green. It's probably going to go in the water over the green. And if I hit a two iron, which I fly about 215 yards, which would have been perfect, but I don't think off that lie I could have got it high enough to fly it far enough to hold the green. And also that one was afraid. So I just you know, laid up to my yardage. And I you know, I ended up making birdie. I hit it nearly four feet and made birdie. But, I mean, at that point, normally I would have probably if, – if I was two back, I probably would have tried something. Sure. But being, you know, even, I think, or one back at that time, I, I, I felt like, you know, plenty of holes left. He wasn't hitting it as great as he normally hits it. So I didn't feel like I needed to push the pressure. And I felt like if I made bogey to his birdie in three shots with, you know, three to go, it was it. So um, I tried to play to my strength. I knew I wasn't going to make bogey. The worst I was going to be is two back and um, was able to make birdie. Because that's what I think people don't have a full appreciation for. 15 is essentially an island green. I it mean, is. And if you, landed, if you land anything on the front four or five steps on that green it rolls back into the water it doesn't stay up i mean it rolls into the water so basically it's out of bounds on the front of the green is what it is so um you know you have to you have to play that hole for the spin into the green whatever you're hitting into that green you've got to be able to control the spin if you can't control the spin you can't you have no idea where the ball's going to go that is probably the hole that has the biggest uh, variance in seeing it in person, my reaction to it, versus what I watch on TV. Yeah. Because right? it just looks like a eh, you're downhill, you can hit a nice shot into that green, and you, I wouldn't even want to hit a wedge into that green. It looks <laughs> well, that's sometimes the scariest shot because then you're, now you have spin. Yeah. So it's like you know, you got to hit it far enough or flight it down to where you're taking the spin off. I mean, it, it is a very di- – sometimes just happy to hit the green. Yeah. Did Phil ever reconcile with you? Did he ever buy you a steak? Did he ever get you a bottle of wine for you hitting a ball a foot past his before his final putt in two thousand four? You know he hasn't, and we've talked, really we've talked about it. But I will say this too: is that I've said that to Skip Kendall a bunch of times about my you know the grip that I use for when I putt. And I always told him I said, "Oh, you're really big dinner." I haven't taken him out on that either. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean Phil and I are still very close, and obviously was happy to see him win the PGA. You know, it's it's good for our tour, to tell you yeah. the truth, to see a 50-year-old win out in their tour still. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was – you know what? I think that was the most nervous I was on a putt all day, to mm. tell you the truth, was that putt on 18 when I blasted out of the bunker and my ball went maybe four inches behind his, the same exact line. And he kind of came behind me and said, show me a good read here. And I was like, oh, my gosh, okay, this I better hit a good putt here. <laughs> and I did. I hit a good putt that just caught the edge and lipped out. And then he hit one maybe – he might have played just a half an inch more and he, it went in. Because that ball fell in the edge. It did and too, I wonder yeah. if it would have – if it would have. What uh, – so tell me about learning the grip from uh, Skip Kendall. What – what, 
you know, you were the claw was pretty, you know, well highly used. I would say out on a lot of tours now, but at that time it was. You, was you were the innovator of, of that on the tour. I was, yeah. So um, we were playing a little mini tour event in '95, and that's um, I had just lost my card on the PGA Tour, obviously because of putting. And I saw Skip inside the. We were in a rain delay at Lake Buena Vista, and I was telling. He goes, "What are you gonna do next year?" I said, "I don't know. I can't. I can't make it from a foot. I'm. I'm. I'm done." And he goes, "Let me show you this." And he showed me this grip, and I looked at him like he was nuts, and. We went on our ways, and we, you know, we. So the next day, I was out playing with my buddies, and I had one of those putts that I knew there was no chance I was going to make. And I'm like, let me try this stupid thing that Skip showed me, and I went, and it was like, whoa! I mean, it was like, holy smokes! I haven't hit a putt like this since I was 12, and I literally my scores went from 73, 72 to 63, 64. I mean, literally overnight. I mean, it was now you have confidence to make a three footer and stroke it in confidently it's a huge thing and does that trickle back into other parts of your game when you're struggling putting does it can it seep into ball striking anyways it it really doesn't because that was the thing that was so infuriating was yeah. that I was such a good ball striker that I mean I was I was hitting 17 greens around and shooting 73 mm. and I mean I'd, I'd have you know 10 putts inside 10 feet with six of those being inside five feet and I wasn't making birdies so you know Skip showed me that and then it was funny I was I'm I Went down in 96 and qualified for Honda, qualified for Doral. And I was on the putting green in Doral, and Calc walks up and or walks by me. He tells the story, and he looks at over at me the way I'm putting. He goes, man, I've tried a lot of grips, but I know that's one way I'll never putt. And, what, 1998 to 2020, he's still putting that way. So he's, on, <laughs> he's going on year 24 himself. What does it do? Does it just take part of the wrist out of it? Because I've messed around with it on the putting green, and every time I try to take it to the course, it feels horrible, but it feels amazing when I try it yeah. on the putting green. Do you need a special angle of the putter to make it work or anything? So or? I think everybody does it different. I think the most important thing is the thumb underneath the shaft. I think that's the most important thing. And what it does for me is my right hand used to be the hand that liked to hit the ball. So I, it just takes that out for mm-hmm. me and lets me putt with my left side. And if I putt with my left side, spe- specifically my middle finger, my index finger, my pinky finger, those three putt, putt, if I try to putt with those, it helps the stroke a lot. And I think that, you know, it just takes your right hand out. And I think you see a lot of variations of it. There's plenty of different variations, a couple fingers down to grip, whatever it is. But I think the, the one constant that they all use when they use the claw is the thumb underneath. Mm-hmm. Going back to uh, this is my last question I have for 05. I meant to weas- weasel this in there earlier, but there's probably no golf shot I've seen more often in the last 20 years than the chip on 16. There's probably no person that paid a greater price on the receiving into that chip than you. <laughs> what do you look away when that chip comes on now? Do you get asked about it still every day? What's what's your reaction to seeing that? You know, at first it was kind of you know I was like wow you know I, I can't believe he made that putt. I mean now you look back and you think about how what the historic value of that chip is to Augusta. And if they show the full clip, I'll be in that clip all the time because I'm walking up on the green watching that chip come down the hill. I mean, I, th- I had the best view of anybody. I had a better view than Tiger, who was kind of on the back part of the green looking at it. I was watching the thing come straight down at me into the hole, and I'm just – I mean, I'm kind of blowing, <laughs> like, stop, you know. And, and, and you know, it just oh, we all know the the end. It, it hit – it stops on the edge, and perfect Nike commercial yeah. and drip, drips in. But – um you know, you look back at that, and if it was 18 and that would have happened, I, I think I probably would have more. You know, if I was Greg Norman watching Larry Mize chip in on me, I think that would, you know, would get me anyway like that. But, you know, watching it, since it was 16 and he went two up the night, you know, I came back and, and won the next two holes to get back to even with him getting to a playoff, I think that, you know, I, it, it's not that bad. Yeah. As I said, because in match play, you know, you're, you're supposed to be trained. I know it's not match play, but you're supposed to be trained for – 
to be prepared for somebody Everything. to hold it from anywhere. Yeah. Could you have possibly been prepared for him to hold that shot? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because it was in 04, I was working with Gio Valiente and we worked specifically on expect the unexpected. So I worked really great at Whistling Straits. Um, you know, obviously I lost in the playoff there. And then to go right to 2005, I was thinking the same exact thing. So in my mind, I had kind of played out every scenario that could have happened. And albeit it wasn't a lot of situation in my head about him chipping in, I definitely, it crossed my mind. And then when it went in, it it definitely was surprising, but I, I was just a teeny bit prepared for it. So I was yeah. able to just kind of focus on my, my putt and try to make that. You hit a good putt. I did. I caught the left too, edge yeah. and just missed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, four Whistling Straits. I, I feel like, honestly, it took me, uh, I'm a complete golf nut, and I had to be reminded that you were in the playoff in 2004 because it, you kind of, I don't want to say backdoor, you had like the round of the day on that Sunday. What yeah. was so difficult about that Sunday in 2004? I think the wind finally blew, and I think yeah. it, it blew a different direction. I think that it, you know, it, it came from what we hadn't seen the whole week. And my goal going into that day, because I think I was six or seven shots back of VJ going into it, uh, my goal was to finish in the top 10 to, to solidify myself on the Ryder Cup. Hmm. You know, I, I, I hated relying on a, a, a captain's pick. I just wanted to do it myself. And, you know, and I hit the shot in the 18. I hit a six iron in there about 12, 15 feet underneath the hole. And I kind of put my arm up. It was more for, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the Ryder Cup team. I mean, worse, I'm going to finish the top five. I mean, and then, you know, guys started coming back and making bogeys. Because you were two back on 18 putting for birdie. Mm-hmm. And you didn't know it at the time, but I think it was Justin Leonard was struggling. He was about to make bogey on 16. Right. So you would have been two back. You're putting, to, you know, for birdie, but you're probably still not thinking that's to get into a playoff. No, and, and actually. Or to win. <laughs> to win, yeah. And I mean, and I think I hit, I mean, I was so focused on making the Ryder Cup that I didn't, and again, mm. I didn't think I was going to win it. I left it probably like two or three inches short, dead center. You know, it was a slow putt going up the hill, but. I, I look, you know, you know, I tapped in. I'm like, all right, whatever. And looking back, that probably is the putt. If I had a putt, I'd like to putt over in my whole career. That mm. would probably be the one just to hit it hard enough. Yeah. I mean, even if I knock it four feet by and three putt, it didn't really matter. I mean, but that was a chance to win the tournament. I didn't know it, but right. that was a chance to do it. And, and what it was fun. That was a fun, that was such a great golf course. It is such a great golf course. What it, you know, it happens, you know, probably not, not that frequently, but if, if somebody hits a putt short on the 18th green, I feel like everyone's at home screaming like, oh, that's the only thing you can't do. What is it like to try to hit a putt that you know you have to make, right? But I don't know how to phrase it, but like you, you can't ram it through the break, right? You still have to get the speed right if you're making a putt from distance, well, right? I, th- yeah, I think people don't understand that you can have the best line in the world, but if your speed's off, you're not going to make the putt. So right. every one of us out here has a speed in mind. I'm, I'm a, a guy that likes to see putts um, lip in. Um, there's some guy like you see Tiger Woods and he lips out a lot of putts because he putts so firm. They better go in the middle or they're going to lip out. I want to catch any part of the hole and let it lip in. So for a putter like me, when you have to make a putt, like it scrambles are hard for me because I don't, I don't exactly. just want to knock it four feet by because then now I'm not reading the putt like I would normally read it. And for me, that's how I always read it. So I think the most important thing is think about speed first and then get your line because that that is the most important and I think you know obviously when you're nervous I mean I know my tendency is when I'm nervous is to leave it short I just think that's what it is people are you know you don't necessarily hit it so I have to tell myself when I was working with Gio we I talked about that and he goes you just have to physically tell yourself you have to hit it six inches harder than you think you need to hit it and sometimes I think about that a lot of it's grip pressure you know your your adrenaline's going and you hold on to the putter a little bit tighter and you can't really feel the head as much and you leave it a little short so I would physically try to hold the putter a little bit softer hmm. so that you know my hands wouldn't you know grip it so tight 
Well, it's funny because I, I associate your, uh, I guess, clutch putting very, you know, I honestly forgot about the putt in 04 because I associate you have your putt at the President's Cup. You got a putt there on the 18th green at Augusta to, you know, to get into the, the playoff with Tiger. I've always associated you with being a, a clutch putter. So it, that, I just found that interesting looking back on that, that putt being short. And I was curious if you had learned from that or. Totally. You know, <laughs> and, 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 you know, even with, you know, putting woes sometimes that you have, I, I've always been, I think anybody on this tour today, truth, any, anybody on any tour, I think um, you don't get to that level if you don't find a way to get it in. Even if you don't have your best stuff, it, you find a way when it matters to get the ball in the hole. I think that's what makes everybody, that's why they call this the Champions Tour. I think everybody out here has that gene in them. So even back then, you know, it, when I wasn't putting good, I still seemed to make a putt when I needed to make a putt. I never missed a putt really on the 18th hole that meant something, knock on wood. You know, we don't want to start now. But, um, you know, it, it it's... It's what it is. I think that's the gene that we all have. And, and, you know, when you are feeling good with all parts of your game, it, it's obvious golf's a lot easier. I can tell you that. But when you're struggling with one, you know, even if it's your driver, now all of a sudden you're just on every tee with anxiety. You know, maybe you're not hitting your irons, you know, where you're going. Now you're in the fairway with anxiety. If you don't feel like the putter's working, now you're on the green with anxiety. So, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of anxiety in golf. Well, I've heard, I've heard Padraig Harrington say the phrase, we've talked about this a lot lately, of uh, there being an innocence to youth in golf where, you know, you, you know, it's a lot of things like I'm trying to figure out when a guy has a peak in his career and they're on the downside, it's almost always injury related, or I think a contributing factor can be almost too much knowledge, too much scar tissue. I'm curious if you, you, you have maybe perspective on both of those things. I would imagine. Well, you just took the absolute <laughs> word out of my mind. It was scar tissue. I mean, when, you know, when you, I watch these kids now, and it's amazing. If you go look at the late 80s, early 90s, and you watch guys that had chances to win, they were missing four-footers coming in. I mean, uh-huh. there was no gimme. I mean, it, the announcer would knock it. They would knock it by, and the announcer would go, ooh, there's some bone on that. Mean on that bone. Now you don't even hear that anymore. These kids are just from four feet. They're just banging them right in the back of the hole like it, it doesn't even matter. You know, we're back in the late 80s. We were dying them and drunk just trying to get them in the hole any way we could. So, you know, there is there's like no – I'm glad to hear you say that because I I felt like growing up as a kid I like part of tuning in to watch Sunday golf was like can this guy with a two shot lead hold on to it yeah and it felt like they lost them more often than they won them yeah. and it feels different now it does feel different okay. now I mean when these kids when they're up there I mean you know like even they say Colin Morikawa that's his he's not the greatest putt. that's his one week he doesn't really have any weaknesses but if the weakest part of his game is his putting but i'll tell you what you when he has a chance to win those four footers are going in dead center and they're not going in slow they're going in firm i mean i'll tell you when i had to putt at the president's cup what goes through your mind is obviously i'm trying to make it but i'm also in my mind going okay i Stuart Alpley just missed if i get a little frisky with this and knock it four feet by and miss it now i'm i feel like i'm bernard langer at kiwa yeah now i've just gone by and i go from you know the winner the you know the whatever the hero, you want to yeah. say the hero to, to the goat in right. two seconds and it's like so that goes through your mind and you know you don't want to think about that but unfortunately that's what goes into mind the mind takes over and t- can do some bad things yeah jeez. and injury wise like how i think that's another another th- aspect that you know we've been talking about recently of how you know almost everyone's decline is associated with injury in some way either a small nagging injury that has caused you to form a bad habit or a serious injury. I'm wondering what your, what your perspective is on, on that. Well, I, I can, I'm can attest to it hundred percent because it happened to me. I, I had um, shoulder surgery at the end of 2007. And in, so basically, and I didn't realize how much shoulder surgery, how much rehab there is that goes with it. And I did it in September. So I, I really didn't swing a club till mid November. And 
obviously the season in 08 was starting, you know, in January. So for me, I, I worked so hard on trying to get my long, which my long game was always, you know, the, the strong part of my game. And then, so I always worked on my short game. I, I made sure my, my wedges and my putting and my chipping around the greens were always good. So I actually did probably 75% of that and 25% hitting balls. And I switched it up and I became, and I really, my ball striking never ever was the same of what it was in the mid 2000s. Just, I mean, my iron play was, was the best. And, you know, now it's, there's remnants of it. It's just not consistent like it used to be. But so, yeah, I mean, I attribute that to the, to the surgery for sure. I mean, little aches and pains. I'm lucky I don't really have any back problems like a lot of these guys out here. But I mean, in, you can, a direct reflection of most guys' careers, you can see an injury for sure. Yeah. Because I, I think almost every golfer in some way would struggle with you have at one point played your best golf. And, you know, you know, there's days where I shoot scores that are 16 shots higher than my best round ever. And I just wonder how I could be the same guy. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I think you can draw confidence from that of like, you know what, I've done this before. I can do this. And I'm wondering if it could also work the other way of, you know, once you have achieved at such a high level, almost lower levels of success are not satisfying enough and you're still searching for something. Am I on to something with that? Absolutely. And, and I think the, the big thing that you see is, is it, it, I think the, it, you, I think it's confidence. And I think what happens is it can take years to grow confidence to where you get to the point where you can walk in that first tee, be completely comfortable, still have some anxiety just because you, you, you still want to play the game. It's just like if you're played football and you're receiving the kick, you know, there's just that certain amount of excitement that goes with it. You have that, but you're not worried about your game. You're not nervous. You're not letting the nerves affect your play. And then it can take two, three weeks to just crush all that confidence that has taken years. Mm. And sometimes you can walk off the golf course and go, I don't know if I'm ever going to hit it like I used to hit it. And it, it's amazing to me that you can go from almost winning a major to three weeks later and don't know if you can ever make a cut again. That blows my freaking mind. And it, it, <laughs> and it happens. And, I mean, yeah. I think for me what I talked with Gio about, which helped me a bunch, is that by admitting that – then you can get past that. If you hold that in and don't ever say it, and I think that you're just going to, you know, it, it, you're never going to admit it to yourself that this could possibly happen. And, and again, admitting it to yourself means that you have it, and then what you do is you overcome it and you get past it. And, you know, and that's what we've all been able to do. At least that's what I've been able to do. So what's your reaction to going and seeing old highlights and, and you know, revisiting some of, your, some of your best golf in your career? You know, you look back and I, I, it's it's obviously flattering to, and to know I can do it. You know, my son always says, oh, dad, it's in there. You know, but the realization is that my body is 53 years old. It's not 25, 28 anymore. And there's not as much flexibility in my golf. And even though I do work out and I do, you know, stretch and I do way more than I ever did back then, it's just the reality is, is my body's not the same. And, um, you know, I, I understand that. Obviously, I want to win out here and I want to be a major role out here. And luckily, I have the patience to be able to do that. And I think that's the most important thing because I am still trying to get myself back to the comfort level that I used to have on the PGA Tour where I can step up on the first tee and realize and know that the worst I'm going to finish is top 20 every week. Mm -hmm. I'm working on that and I'm getting there and I'm trying to do it patiently. And um, I know there's... I came out and put a lot of expectations on myself early. I'm trying to limit those and just kind of go out and have have fun and just enjoy this second life of golf. That's the thing is this is the, one of the only sports that you're still playing at this right. age, you know, and that's totally. what it makes it so unique. So on the right, you said you were talking a lot about how important it was for you to make the 2004 Ryder Cup team. You you were a part, the two Ryder Cup teams you were a part of were 
you were thank two God the, this year happened. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I'm just curious to get your perspective on. Feel like you, those two teams are the poster teams for. We have all of this talent on this team. Why isn't it translating? And watching the U.S. team this current year, I'm wondering if you could share anything of what. What do you see as the big differences between? Is it youth a little bit? You think? I think golf back then was a way more individual sport. Okay. I think that they, I mean, literally everybody was an individual. I think now, you, you know, you've seen Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. They kind of grew up together. They go on trips together. You know, they're friends together. I mean, you know, that, that, that Ryder Cup when, um, you know, and Hal put Tiger and Phil together. I mean, on paper, it seems like how does that team lose? But when the, the two personalities don't necessarily mesh, it's not, it doesn't make for, you know, even though Phil and Tiger were arguably number one and two, by far than anybody else in the, in the world, it's still, you know, it, if you, if you don't have that little mesh, then it really doesn't work. And, you know, I think they're a lot better now. I think they're friendly now. And I think that they'd be good. I think they'd be great partners now to yeah. tell you the truth. I think both of them would have a good time. I mean, there's, I don't think there's anybody that's more competitive than either one of those two. So um, it just didn't mesh. And I, it was just uncomfortable for both of them to play with each other. And I think when that's the case, you know, I always said that confidence and com- being comfortable on the golf course, those are the two most important things. And, you know, you put those two guys out with all the expectations on the world, and I just think it it just kind of was a it bat. We, we did it that first day, both both matches, and they beat us, and they just gave them the confidence to go out and do it. Um, you know, and then the second one at K-Club, they were really smart. They You know, it, it, was, it was wet. They slowed the greens down amazingly. It was soft. It was everything. And they just, you know, they just were a better team. Hmm. Yeah, because I just flipping through. Tiger was the youngest person on the 2004 team at 28. Right. And now there were only four guys older than 28 on the most recent Ryder Cup team. Right. I think there's something. I might dive into that. There's something to the Ryder Cup might be a uh, a, a young man's game. You played with. I, I also love looking back at that. Jay Haas was a 50 year old captain's pick on that team, and he was your partner. How did that partnership come? That about? was amazing. So is you know Jay obviously is one of my mentors out here, and and now we're on the same field every week. So, and we did on a regular tour, but he just, what, first of all, the whole Haas family is one of the nicest families in the world. And, you know, I, I think I looked up to him and I think I might even said to Hal, I'd love some mentorship in this as I'm a rookie and Jay's been around and he's done his thing. And our games meshed very similar games, you know, kind of just not real long, but good iron players, good putters. And, um, you know, I think we played three matches that year together. I think we were one, one, one and one in those three matches. And, um, the first match we won, it was funny, we, we had practiced all week about I was going to tee off one, he was going to do two just because of the way it set up for our games. And I was walking over to the tee before the round, and I said, I don't think I can hit this tee ball. And we switched it up. No way. Yeah, we switched it, and he hit the tee ball. I didn't think that far enough of it in advance because I was so nervous. And I ended up – he I hit it on the green, he putted it up. I had to make like a four-and-a-half-footer. And I'm like, I'd rather hit the drive than have a four and a half footer. <laughs> was it driver? It was driver. First... Oh, yeah. Then yeah, you should have taken that. I should have <laughs> for sure. And but we ended up um, winning that match. We played Miguel. I forget who else Miguel played with, but we won. Um, I think we won three and two. And thankfully, Jay hit it like a foot on 16. It's where I didn't even have to putt. They gave me the putt. Thank God, I didn't have to make it. So, um, but that was pretty awesome. We both have a picture of that first one. We're kind of like holding each other's hands. You know, yeah. Just like, yeah, and. He signed it to me. I signed it to him, and I have that hanging. It's awesome. one of my. I got goosebumps thinking about it. It was great. <laughs> Thomas Levey was the other. Thomas guy. three LeVay. and two. You remember that? You remember that, right? Oh three Presidents Cup. That seems like there should be a documentary about that. About that Presidents Cup. Whew. 
It's crazy. So 17-17 tie that ends in a tie. They go, first of all, I don't know how the President's Cup did away with that sudden death playoff. That had to be one of the greatest things in golf. Yeah, but you know what I didn't like about that? I mean, I would rather have seen like a 17-man, you know, or 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 two six-man scrambles or something go yeah. out. You know, it shouldn't Too you much shouldn't pressure. Well, you shouldn't have a team event end on an individual. Yep. And that's the only thing I didn't like. And it actually worked. And those guys, you talk about being in, in a zone. I mean, they both – I think they both birdied 18. They both made good par putts on one, like three or four feet. And then they – you know, Tiger made this 16-foot slider on number two. And Ernie made like an eight-footer. And both of them walked off the green. Like, I mean, it was – like they didn't know anybody. Their team – I mean, they were like focused. And they're like, whoa, 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 we're going to – you know. And, and the, funny, the funniest thing was is, you know, somebody said, okay, we'll call it a tie. And, and – Gary's like, okay, we'll call it a tie. And Gary, Jack goes, well, we win because we retain a cup. And Gary's like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I don't remember. I never heard that part. Oh, it was great. And then we decided there, and then we we would share the cup. And mm-hmm. it was the right thing to do. It was it was um, it was obviously really dark. Yeah. The iris in the camera wasn't showing what it was. And I mean, how <laughs> Tiger made that putt. It was sure will. And then Ernie right on top of him. I mean, it was it was great. I was rooting for Ernie to make that putt, yes. even though I was American, because here he is on in South Africa, being a South African, you know, for the President's Cup. And if he would have missed that putt, I just would have – it would have been terrible for him and, you know, the um, ambassador that he is for that country. So, I, you know, it was it worked out great. I think that was especially part of history like that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gosh, I want to see I, – I can't get enough of that event. Because what was that trip like? Did you guys spend extra time down there at all on the front end? Because that seems like a tough trip to make quickly. So we, we went there, and then the next week we had a um, – a world golf championship and mm. i think it was in um in london pretty sure it was in london so a lot of us went from there to the world golf championship i think just about all of us went there and a lot of our wives they had a plane for them to go home i know my wife was seven seven months pregnant with our last child during that one hmm. i was just trying to look that what time of year was this do you remember it would have been november or yeah like october november it would have been um whenever the president's cup it was a week after the president's cup okay I, I I don't remember that WGC in London. That's interesting because yeah. I feel like they've gotten way too set up in the U.S. They, the there used to be one in Ireland, I think, at one point. The American Express. Yeah, there was the, the one in yeah, Cork. Yes. Yeah. What's the greatest shot you think you've ever seen hit by? It could be by anyone. Could be an under tournament play, not under tournament play, or the first really amazing shot that comes to mind is probably an easier question. Wow. There's so um, you know the shot he hit Tiger hit on on 18 at Canadian Open was out of the bunker mm-hmm. was pretty special shot. You know, there's so many great shots. I mean, I love anything in team competition. I mean, just even what the Americans did this year, like some of those three woods that Justin Thomas was hitting on like number 16 to get it in there or I, whatever he was hitting in there, they were making eagle. I know he made eagle on his own. I think he made it with Jordan Speed. Jordan made a putt for him. Mm-hmm. And I think they played team and he made eagle. And then Jordan made, you know, an alternate shot and, Anything like that. I love seeing like shots in the par fives where there's just trouble everywhere and they end up a foot. I mean, it's good stuff. And I had this on here to ask you, which was if you had one mulligan to take at any point in your career, what would it be? I th- you may have semi answered that with your putt on the uh, in 2004 at, at Whistling Straits. Yeah, I would. I would love to. Have, I'd love to have two putts at that one. Hmm. Like literally, I think that that was because it was a pretty easy putt. It was literally just hit it hard enough, mm-hmm. and I just left it a little bit short. It was just a straight putt to hit it hard enough. Any other big events, you know, that that uh, we ha- we haven't covered that uh, from your career that, that stick out the most? And a little insight from the other side of it all. So it was the nineteen ninety eight 
Canadian Open. It might have been the same year Tiger hit the shot, but whatever. Tiger's was, was two thousand. So mine was ninety eight, and I just got my card back that year, and I was like one twenty five on the money list, and I hit a two iron to that green from the back, from the fairway, and the pin was all in its, in its normal spot, and I hit just a high cut two iron in there about. 15 feet left of the hole, and there's that scoreboard right on, on the thing. And I was tied for 19th. At, and, if, and if I made eagle, I would finish – I think I finished tied for 9th. And if I made birdie, but that tied for 9th moved me to – you know, there was only like three or four tournaments. So I moved me to like 90th on the money list and basically got my card. So that two iron for me is something that I remember all the time because that literally kind of catapulted my career because that's the first year that on tour I putted with the claw, and mm. it just kind of – went on from there that's funny everyone's got a shot of some kind or something oh, yeah. they did at one point that just like yeah if this would have gone the other way my whole life and career it could might, have been I, I very hit in the water i make bogey i might not get my card that year and who knows what happens jeez that's wild so yeah all right we'll let you go best of luck this week thanks for spending some time with us telling thanks, some stories Scott. this was uh, this was a blast and we'll have to do it again sometime sounds good anytime cheers thanks be the right club be the right club today Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! 